Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who keeps his organs in a jar by the door. Who are they for? <laughs> I am the... Adam Glass. <laughs> it's me. I am the Adam Glass, and uh, yeah, keep my organs... I like to keep my organs portable, uh, but outside of my body. Cause, <laughs> it's like... really the best way, right? I mean, the, the yeah. pharaohs had it right, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, you'd think they're pretty portable where they are right now, but uh, but they, but but you've got like all that extra weight to carry around, right, right. Whereas, right, like, right. if they're in yeah. a jar that you keep by the door, you can hire yeah. you can hire a manservant to carry them around for you. Most of my problems would be solved by having a manservant to carry carry a thing around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's wouldn't, right? <laughs> Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Uh, That's where it is. Sorry. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. It's always it's always fun when uh, when we're doing a movie where we're definitely going to talk about capitalism a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to start oh, off boy. with our Patreon support. It just makes me laugh every time. Uh, no, but we do really appreciate those of you who support us on Patreon. And honestly, it's not really capitalism. Uh, you're paying our bills because we uh, we're artists who need. Yeah, I mean it's it's somebody. patronism instead, right? It is it is yeah, it's it patronism. is definitively not actually capitalism. Right, right. It's a completely different economic system, and patronism has raised uh, probably ninety percent of the world out of poverty. Uh, that's are we are we are we like are we in right? some sort of weird like business magazine like pro pro yeah in an alternate pro- universe where like. Of the Medici's or whatever their names were in Italy. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I think that the billionaire class today uh, would be a lot better liked if uh, they paid they somebody to build a statue. Art happen all the time? Or, or, even, or even a library. I mean, well, see, that's uh, that. Okay. Well, well, we don't need to talk about Carnegie, but like. <laughs> that, nobody ever needs to talk no, about Carnegie. Because, <laughs> like, there's a, whole, there's a whole thing there. But, like, the thing about it is, is that, like, in their desire to show off their wealth to the world, it's sort of created this weird sort of like, well, we created public works, right? In a weird sort of way. Yeah. Whereas right now, it's just like, well, I'm going to buy this island and build a weird thing on it, and then no one will ever get to see it except for my weird fucking friends who aren't my, I mean, that's... like our weird, nepotistic, incestuous relationship that we all have. <laughs> that's that's a better a better plan than... Uh, I'm gonna make it so that everybody has to read my reply, guys. Oh yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that is it is the ultimate version of of like the worst impulse you I, could ever have, right? Yeah. Uh, of of the public arts thing. It's like, well, I know what my public service will be. I'm gonna make I'm gonna right. make a reply to everything ever written on the internet. Yeah. Racist nonsense. Yes. I'm going to pack as much transphobia and racism into the top five lines of this thing as possible. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, what what I'm saying is our Patreon supporters are like like the Medici's. Right. uh, And we're like Michelangelo. I mean, Uh, 
Yeah, basically. And podcasts are basically uh, marble statues. And <laughs> I like to think our and, podcast is as or more enigmatic than Mona Lisa's smile. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally our podcast episodes are definitely like giant pictures of hell. So, oh, yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Our, I mean, our so podcast closer. is essentially the audio version of a Bosch painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a lot closer. We're a lot closer to uh, those classical and Renaissance artists than than you might give us credit to for. And I'll I'll go to my grave defending that one. So thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can help out for just a dollar a month. Help pay our bills. Help keep this podcast going until we uh, finally finish. And we're never going to well, finish I mean, because yeah, the Criterion Collection is never going to stop. Luckily, uh, I've learned a... the secret from this movie to us never having to stop. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, your Patreon support helps us uh, find, secure uh, a <laughs> a bug machine. <laughs> Some that, fucked uh... up bug machine from... <laughs> I guess... Yeah. I mean, like, who doesn't <laughs> want will... a fucked up bug machine? That will... Yeah. That will turn us into vampires, but we won't use the V word. Uh and uh, the V and yeah. word is vagina. <laughs> no, that's a different. Oh, wait, that's a different we, are we talking Pat. about different movies? Uh, yeah, um, maybe you watched something else. I wa- uh, I I don't want to know what those one of those weird porn parody movies of Cronus is like. I don't I don't want to <laughs> so imagine good. that. But I started so spinning good. it up in my head. I was like, what would oh, that be? It'd be so good. It'd be so bad and so good. Support levels start at just one dollar, and that gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. It's always a non-criterion film. Uh, our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, sometimes uh, we even take list suggestions from the uh, from our supporters, and then we try to get that supporter, whoever suggested the list, on to the episode. It's super fun to talk well, to I mean, somebody about a movie they suggest because it's usually a movie they really like. Consider a fair warning that if you suggest a list, you might be forced to be on the podcast. That's the one dollar mark. You get access to that bonus episode and and the entire back catalog bonus episodes. The sixty seven over there is really eclectic mix of stuff. Some really good, some really bad. Some stuff that should be in the Criterion Collection. Some stuff that will only eventually be in the Criterion Collection because the Criterion Collection will eventually contain all movie. A little above that one dollar mark, five dollars. We'd like to thank those supporters on air because you know they help us out a little bit more. So thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Chris Otto, Eric Cordonado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Andrew Jarrett. A little above that, we do something that's pretty dang special. Oh, yes, it is. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. And I got to say, uh, the one for April. I think it was worth the wait. One of my, yeah, definitely worth the wait. Sorry, it's a little bit late. Uh, a little bit. It's going to be over a month late. Hopefully, hopefully everybody will have it by the time this episode actually goes out. Uh, but it is it is one of the best pieces <laughs> that Pat has made in a very long time, and I I enjoy all of Pat's art. I, really I, do. I am extremely. This, this one, one is makes me giggle yeah. to myself every time I think about it. Literally, yeah, I'm every super time. happy with this one. Super happy with the April one. So, uh, hopefully, everybody who supports this at ten dollars and above is enjoying that as well. I'd like to thank those folks on air, and thank you so much. To Jason Westhaver, Nina Bajnak, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters. Thank you. If you want to check out past postcards, buy them as postcards, buy them as greeting cards. I highly suggest this April this April card as a greeting card. Send it to all of your families in celebration of every holiday <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Search for Lawson Criterion on Redbubble, and uh, our, our postcard shop will 
pop-up. You can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, as uh, pins, some of them, if the art works. Unfortunately, April, the April one's not going to work as a pin, but uh, maybe I mean, I'll put it, it up as... a square pin, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll put it up as a shower curtain. If the, oh, if God, the, the best shower right. curtain ever. Oh, it would be a really good shower curtain too. Uh, that might be our first shower. You figured curtain. out. You figured out uh, our our Christmas present for Jonathan. There we go. Uh, but all of that stuff is on. Uh, uh, we like to make sure that our Patreon supporters see that stuff first. So it does go up on a little bit of a delay. So you can expect expect to see that April postcard that I really want you all to see in just a couple of months uh, up, up up on the Red Bubble. Thank you to everybody who has purchased anything from the Red Bubble. Thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And thank you for listening. Pat, we're finally done with the BBS box set. Thank and, the uh, Lord. I am there's some so real bangers happy. in there. And there were some real not bangers in there. I mean, I there. really did Whatever. like uh, I anti, liked King of anti bangers quite a bit. So King of Marvigard. We did we did close out on a high note. King of Marvigardus was a was a fun movie to watch and talk with you about. Uh, but we are really switching gears uh, this week with uh, Guillermo del Toro's first film uh, from 1992, Kronos. Uh, he'd been working on making this movie for eight years and in the meantime did a whole bunch of shorts, 10 shorts in fact, uh, only two of which have ever seen the light of day. One of those shorts is on the DVD here. Uh, it is called uh, Geometria. Uh and it's very good. It's the, Geometria is the tenth and final short. The ninth one has also been released uh, elsewhere. Uh, maybe it'll be a bonus feature on a Del Toro in our future. Uh, but uh, but Geometria is how much? It's very how funny. much does he appear in the Criterion Collection anyway? Uh, only three films. Because uh, I was so. thinking that would make a hell of a bonus. Uh, I've seen yeah. quite a few Del Toro films over I the think, years, and I do like... I think this month we are definitely going to have to do Del Toro that, Right? Bonus. Like, we kind of have to, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because the only other films in the collection are Devil's Backbone, which is spine number 666, very appropriately, uh-huh. and I love that. Good for good for you guys. Uh, and then Pan's Labyrinth uh, is in the 800s somewhere. And they've also all three been released then together, this and those two. Uh, in a trilogy of Del Toro box right. set. Okay. Um, I do love Pan's that, Labyrinth. I was kind of secretly yeah. hoping it wouldn't be in here so that we could watch it as <laughs> so a bonus. So that we could do it for a bonus episode. Yeah. Yeah. So if we did a bonus episode, it'd have to be like mimic uh, Blade, <laughs> the Blade movie he did, and uh, maybe one of the first. Uh, 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 What's it? One of the first Hellboy movies. Yeah, I mean, but, I've, and anyway. I've seen all of those, so like yeah. we're we're not going to be yeah. treading any new Anything. ground. But I will, right. I will. It will be a lot of fun. Anything would be good. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah. So Geometria is really fun. It 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 hinges on a very bad joke, but I really love it. It's so very good. It's, it's a very good joke, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is funny. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, Kronos, uh, like I said, came out in eighty or came out in ninety two, but he'd been working on it since nineteen eighty four. Um, it's it's a Mexican vampire movie. Um, I mean, yes, it. Yeah. Del Toro is really interesting because he's a guy. I think it's true of Cronenberg too. Uh, he's a guy who worked genre for so long because they love working genre, mm-hmm. and like. Now they're at a point in their career where they can choose to do non-genre work uh, if they want it. 
uh, but but very rarely do they want it. And Cronenberg might even actually be past that part of his career. No, that's not true. Cronenberg. I mean, Cronenberg's just so old at this point that, like, <laughs> right. I mean, because, like, um, you know, it, it, he's in a very different spot at this point, right? Because, like, yeah. he's just not really making movies anymore, right? Like, not, not. Well, he did just have Crimes of the Future. I know, but like, I, just I thought year, I read that but... like Crimes of the Future was his first film in like. It was his first film in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Since Maps of the Stars, which was 2014. So, yeah. And the last Cronenberg, I didn't see Crimes of the Future. The last Cronenberg I watched was Cosmopolis in 2012, which was phenomenal. I really love Cosmopolis. But, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, and they like like different things, but also they kind of don't, right? Like, they both sort of revel in the sort of like, I don't know, like, Del Toro's like interview in this um, was extremely good. Yeah. I really liked his interview. His interview was every time I've heard him talk about mo- film, he's always very interesting. Oh yeah, to yeah, yeah. To. definitely. But like this was very personal, and I like that uh, he was talking a lot about like this idea of at the beginning about this idea of like, well, these things are deeply beautiful and fascinating despite being gross, right? Like that, like gross things right. can be like he doesn't yeah. use those. I can't, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but like yeah. this idea. another. Yeah, another thing with Cronenberg, too, and Del Toro is that they both deal in grotesquerie. Uh, but Cronenberg's, you know, more about that sort of body horror stuff. Right. You know, we've we've seen Dead Ringers and Well, I mean, they're talking lunch, about different things, uh, right? And both drum. using that grotesquerie to yeah. talk about those things, right? right? Like, Cronenberg is obsessed with the idea of, like, what is the nature of, like, a body and a self and, and those right, sort of right, things. Right, right, right. Whereas Del Toro is more interested in, like, you know— sort of people's spiritual relationship with the world yeah. and stuff like that right and, you know right yeah there's one part in one of the interviews where del toro refers to chronos as uh as his first lapsed catholic movie and how he wanted to make more lapsed catholic movies uh and he's talking that interview is from 2010 i don't think it's i don't think he's being fair to himself to say he hadn't made another lapsed catholic movie because that lapsed that's lapsed catholicism sort of feeds a lot of his work right i think i think maybe just the the sort of i guess to a certain extent right chronos is more explicit than any of his other movies in, right, in that, right like very much whereas like the other ones tend to have that as a as a sort of uh, as a theme chronos is like just about that thing right like it's about a person yeah. who is is doing something that is 100% like abhorrent in the eyes of God, right? Like it's just right, it's right, what it is, right. right? I hadn't realized until watching those bonus stuff, I I watched Mimic when I was a teenager when mm-hmm. it came out and did not, obviously it's a second film. How could I have known uh, <laughs> that it was a Del Toro movie? Right. But it never- I've never seen it. it even, so I, you know. even in thinking about the past, I never it never occurred to me that Mimic was a, was a Del, Toro, <laughs> Del Toro film. Um, even as I've seen all of his other movies, um, his most recent Pinocchio is really good as well. I have not I had a chance for that, that one because uh, it took a very long time to come out here, like a very long I'm time. I'm sure it's it did. Just now I'm sure it did. Here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Mimic, I, I remember, I don't know. I, I barely remember Mimic. I remember plot lines of, of Mimic broad strokes, uh, because it was just a horror movie that my brother rented and I watched um, when we when I was twelve. So, right. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, but mimic talking about how he had a lapsed Catholic plotline in mimic, and even if it existed, I wouldn't have remembered it at this point. But um, and but you yeah, probably Kronos weren't thinking just, about things in terms of lapsed no, Catholic. No, definitely not. At the time definitely when not. You were 12, definitely not. Right? No, 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 no. I was not 
not thinking about religion that deeply. Um, Kronos is such a religiously interesting movie. Uh, I mean, first off, it, it wears that a bit on its sleeve. Our, our main character is named Gray Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's hard to get around that. Um, and he dies and comes back to life three days later. Uh, Del Toro does point out that originally some of the uh, some of the imagery around Jesus was meant to be more overtly stigmata sort of stuff. Uh, you know, obviously we have the the machinery, the pendant or whatnot does get him in the hand, uh, but he only has only has one hand wound. Um, and the digging into his stomach to be a, a doubting Thomas sort of thing right. is something Del Toro points out in one of the interviews that I would not have necessarily thought about. Well, uh, I mean, it's one of those weird things, movie. right? Is that like, as as a, a person with a brain, right? You watch it and you immediately yeah. get the just general idea that this is a reference to Jesus, right? Yeah. Like that's that that's easy, right? Like that's that's yeah. like, give me right. Literally, the guy's name is Jesus. It's it's easy. Right. It could not yeah. be more like on the nose as far as that's concerned. And then the other stuff becomes sort of like, well, are you right. paying attention? Are you thinking about it in that way? Is that something you yeah. care about and think about or not? Right. Obviously, right. Del Toro does and thinks about it when he's making the movie. Right. And so it should be important to us from from our perspective, but like a normal audience or environment, like, well, I mean, how much are you paying attention to that kind of stuff or not? Right. Yeah. Um, and Del Toro, you know, being from Guadalajara, being, being, uh, being Mexican um, and being raised Catholic with, with a grandmother who des- he describes as uh, very much like uh, the mother from Carrie in, in her religious fundamentalism. Um, apparently, apparently Del Toro's grandmother herself tried to exercise him twice, uh, which first off is not good Catholicism. You, yeah, you get a priest to do that, right. but still. But also I'm glad she wasn't successful. Right, right, right. I don't know what success would have looked like. Well, I mean, obviously. I assume the, the demons were right. helping him make these movies. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he... Uh, one thing he brings up in the Bones feature that I wouldn't have made the leap to, and it's, oh, and it's because it's my own baggage that I wouldn't have made the leap. He talks about the vampirism of the film in relationship to Catholic dominionism and Christian dominionism right. more broadly. And I think, I think being someone from a Mexican background that's, that's very, very much with a mind of history, which he obviously has, right? Um, that's something very much a part of his being that me, as someone who uh, has, let's say, benefited more often than not from Christian dominionism than certainly been a victim of it— uh, a bit of a blind spot in, well, so uh, that's, in approaching that's, it that extra. Is, that's yeah. interesting because, yeah, I do. I, I do think about like these things, me, but I didn't think about these things with this movie, right? When for I first me, watched though, it, see, that did th- that. Okay, yeah. For me, I've always sort of understood. Like, I we we had that really long episode about a while back about uh, vampires and stuff like that, and we didn't really come up at the time. Yeah. But I've always sort of understood as as vampires as metaphorically speaking as a as easily transferable between well they start off as um sort of um sort of uh, what what is the word i'm looking for um s- analogies for uh metaphors for uh 
the the church and then slowly transformed. Yeah. The well, yeah. I think the church because you know when you look when you look at history, right? Even more than the aristocracy, like people's daily interaction with a parasitic organization would have been with yes. the church, right? Would have been the church. Like they didn't yeah. interact with the aristocracy. Maybe made them do stuff, but was. So I think it, like it, it was kind of a depending on which story you're reading and stuff like that. I feel like it's oh, okay. Well, it could be the aristocracy, could be the church, could be la- obviously later capitalism, right? But like right, right, right. the thing about it is, it's like it's worth noting that it always the first thing is blood, and we we understand that like blood as a life force thing is a sort of universal like idea, but also. There is a lot of like, there's a lot of similarities to just general Catholicism right. there, right? And general right, like right, religious right, right. iconography there, right? Uh, so yeah. you know that's kind of all the ways the way I've seen it. So yeah, one of one of the things he he talks about vampirism being a, a sort of twisted communion, and it wasn't it wasn't um, I'm sure it's something I've thought about before, but in hearing him articulate it in the context of this movie, it really occurred to me that. Uh, uh, <laughs> That twisted communion in in reference to colonialism uh, and just the, the terminology, this is my body, this is my blood, as a threat against uh, the peoples you're conquering. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, now, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now this is my body. Right, right. Your body is my body. Your blood is my blood. Um, But yeah, and obviously, you know, this is the capitalism ties into colonialism and the religious right, aspects yeah. tie into colonialism because religion, religion was the justification for the colonialism. Right. Uh, and whole theologies were built to justify this. And the Pope issues edicts to declare that this land is actually empty land. And all those people aren't really people. Right. right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and he's someone who, who del Toro is someone who, who grows up very explicitly within that context in being, uh, in being Mexican, living in Mexico, right? right. Uh, whereas me being a white guy living in the U.S., uh, I didn't have to deal with <laughs> thinking about that stuff uh, until I chose to think about that stuff. Right, that, that's right. definitely true, so, right? Like, yeah, you don't... Right. I mean, it, well, it's, you know, it's a weird thing. It, I, I think it's also, though, it's, it's funny because there's a sort of natural teenager impulse to also just start, like... <laughs> Well, yes, yes. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's it's kind of funny, right? Like like all all roads roads lead to like, hey, this is pretty fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I tried for a little bit uh, when it first popped up that the alchemists. We start the alchemist story in 1536, so I tried for a little bit to try and find if there was a significance to that date. Uh, and the closest I can find is that 1536 is the year that the Franciscans established the first European-style university in the New World. I'm going to guess that's not what he's uh, referencing. <laughs> I think I think there's a chance it could be what there he's referencing, is, but, but I bet it's probably I, my not. My guess is that, like, I, I, you're right. There's definitely a chance. Yeah. I, I would say yeah. probably the most likely thing is, like, oh, what's a a likely-sounding date for this thing to have happened? <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, Yeah, well, we there's certainly this, more this, on... Would be there are more on the nose dates, right? Right. Yeah, there are more on the nose dates he could have could have picked, within, right? And I think maybe you know, avoiding forty those years dates prior is on purpose, yeah. right? You don't want to be like, right. you know, he could, uh, yeah, yeah. He could have picked fourteen ninety two. He could have picked uh, fifteen seventeen for uh, the Pope's doctrine of discovery, or or fifteen fourteen for the other half of of that. Right. Could have picked a lot of different dates. Fifteen thirty six. Uh, is 
Yeah, that was the only the only bit of significance I could find was that the Franciscans established the university in in uh, uh, Mexico City, and you know that first off establishing anything in Mexico City is its own bit of colonialism at the time. Right, but this intellectual colonialism of the university tied, of course, intrinsically to the religiousness of the Franciscans, and we're at a point with the Franciscans where. Uh, Many of them, not all of them, notable exceptions, uh, uh, de Casas among them, uh, but many of the Franciscans are active participants in this colonialism in denying the humanity of the peoples who are already in this space. Um, but yeah, so I think I think an argument could be made that he's making a reference to that, but also it's not important if he's making right, a reference I, to that again, or not. I, I, so, yeah. yeah, it's also just yeah, just as easy to be like, well, yeah, I mean that right. fits right it's into just that period of time when that right. was all happening. Right? Yeah, like, the the important bit is that the alchemist has lived for four hundred years, right? right? And it is four hundred years of history of vampirism that uh, that ends in his death. And then Jesus picking up the mantle of that uh, and deciding well, what he's going to do with it. Well, right? and that's the interesting thing, right? Is that like the the movie gets gets to have a very it has gets to have a conversation about like, well, that alchemist actively seeks out this fate, right? Like right. He, he is he is right. an active pursuant of this like non life life, right? Like this eternal right. death or whatever, right? And yeah. and whereas Jesus is an un, un, essentially an unwilling participant, right? Like he he right. It's it, it, it get you know the Torah to a certain extent gets to talk about addiction and 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 things like that and like how you know whether or not a person is is themselves like responsible for that and 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 like what you know and uh, you know we see a person who's actively seeking it out, right? We see the other. Right side of that right this this person who's actively seeking it out and and what that looks like right like we get to see a right. modern version of that alchemist like in front right. of us versus jesus what what i absolutely love about broad strokes jesus's whole storyline here is that he is someone who when first given access to this power and if this power is colonial power capitalistic power he gets access to it and recognizes that it makes him feel good. Having power is great. Right. Uh, it's also worth knowing that he does not actually un actively right. understand the price at the time, right? What that right. power right. costs. Yeah, and that's what I love about the story right. arc is that he starts to understand that price. He starts to understand that there's no ethical consumption here. He starts to understand that uh, <laughs> uh, he cannot exercise this power without exploiting someone. Right. And he can pretend that he's not exploiting someone. Sure, uh, the the only blood we see him consume is an accident, right? He didn't he didn't cause that blood to be spilt, but he recognizes that if he wants to continue this, he will have to cause blood to be spilled. Right. And also, inheriting the spilt blood of others is not uh, is not it's. It doesn't absolve you. Well, right? that's, I mean, uh, right. Like, he goes through all the stages that you could, like, I mean, right. it, it compresses that entire sort of, like, capitalist mindset <laughs> and stuff into a, a very simplified process, right? Like, he's, like, right. oh, well, this is just, this is just cast off. Like, I didn't right. do anything to make this happen, but I yeah. will have to make, do things to make it happen in the future. Like, the, right. the, the, I will have to, to bring it about. 
And like right. he, Del Toro makes an interesting argument, right? Like it's this person is rightfully disgusted by that prospect, right? Like he's disgusted with himself, and and it's an interesting perspective because we we often I don't we don't encounter a lot of movies that sort of talk about this perspective on something like capitalism where you where the idea that like well yeah most right-minded people are disgusted by the idea of like what you would have to do to become to have that power right like engaging with the idea that like it is it is abnormal to seek that power at the expense of others right and like jesus is 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 not necessarily i don't think meant to be an extraordinary person no the 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 whatever the name of the dude who lives in the freezer is an extraordinary person, but he's extraordinarily <laughs> bad, right? He's willing Dietrich. to. What's his name? Dietrich, Dietrich, which is from the German, from the German for uh, people ruler, ruler of the people. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, it, you get your own thing there. Uh, <laughs> so. And so like he, we we come to understand that he's, well, a he's the you know Del Toro talks about this. There's a very 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 easy like he's the monster here right but like right right but like yes. he seeks this this power and if we use it as an al- analogy for capitalism right like it's it's abnormal to seek this power knowing that right. it, what it costs right 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 and and having this power even when you know what it costs having this power is addictive right right and you have to you have to actively reject it uh well and I, I, actively rejecting it ultimately can lead to your own end Right, uh, right. I I would say that the only the only thing that like bothers me with this analogy, and this is just me being mm-hmm. like a little annoying, is that like when you look at sort of like some of, you know works on capitalism and stuff like that uh, as a as a force, right? You get into the idea that like eventually you know you start talking about like well money sort of because it has no theoretical real in, inherent purpose, right? You start just accumulating it for accumulation's sake, right? And we do see the alchemist sort of seemingly doing that at, when we, like, look at his mansion, right? He's just got buckets of blood hanging around because he just is now accumulating blood as, like, sort of, like, as a matter of course almost. Uh, but but we do kind of run into this pro- one little problem, which is, like, Jesus needs this to live, right? The power that he right. has is life-sustaining, whereas, like, when you look at sort of, like, the, you know, something like Dietrich and, like, but, like, the sort of cap, the true, sort of, like, higher-level capitalist function, right? Right. It's not a matter of survival, right? Like, the capitalist doesn't need this. This is not the, like, the capitalist air quotes the capitalist as a sort of conceptual figure needs it because otherwise they wouldn't exist, right? But the the person himself and his body doesn't need this to, as lifeblood, right? but Angel himself points out, points something like that out when he when he says, "What's he want to live forever for?" Right, right, yeah. I is, mean, uh, with Dietrich, yeah. right, yeah. I mean, the point yeah, it, my, with my, my my point being that like when Jesus decides to destroy his power, he destroys himself. Whereas, right, it's worth noting as far as analogies, we start to like lose our grip a little bit because a person can become not can be made to be not a capitalist anymore and still very much be alive. He's right, not right, a capitalist right. anymore, so that part of him is dead. But <laughs> right. he, that gets it gets a little too high conceptual there, and the idea that I, like equating that power and the thing that sustains that power as life, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think going back to this historical perspective that Del Toro is bringing to it, 
certainly historically rejecting that colonialism was a great way to get yourself burned at the stake. Well, yeah, no, so, I, I agree with uh, that. But like, bear in mind that like, again, we're making the art. Yes. Uh, yes. But yeah. like, my, my point is, is that, that this, um, this Dietrich person, right. If he were to get this power, right. And then you were to yeah. take it away from him, he would physically die. Right. Yes, and so th- yes, yes. that's where you're, it's not because analogies are not, you know, metaphors are not perfect. Right. Because if they yeah. were perfect, they would just be the thing instead of the metaphor for the thing. <laughs> right, right. But, right. like, you know, I, it's just always a thing that, like, it's worth thinking about is the fact that, like, Jesus will die, but, like, the powers that be are not what kill Jesus. The loss of the capitalist, sort of the metaphor for capitalism is what kills Jesus. Right, right. Which is yes. not exactly a perfect one-to-one on what actually killed people who reject capitalism circle, well, basically any time in history. Right, right, right. Well, any yeah. time in history in the last 400 years. <laughs> right, right. In the in the life of capitalism. Right. I think we can forgive a little, no, a little haziness a, at the it's edges. A, it's a thing for... that I always feel in a very sort of semi-pedantic <laughs> way to point out because yeah. it it just irks me in the slightest way because it feels like it, it makes an argument that like you need the capitalism to survive and yeah. it's not, it's worth noting, yeah. You do not. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, we're also dealing with Del Toro. And like I already said, the main character's name is Gray Jesus. Uh, uh, Pearlman's character is Guardian Angel, is the literal translation of his name. Uh, you know, um, which I suppose makes Dietrich's literal name uh, ruler, guardian of the people, which is a very. Uh, very pompous. <laughs> well, it, it very sort of. much gets into the history of colonialism, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, this, absolutely. This guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, protector of Mexico. Everybody's name's super important. Everybody's name's a little on the nose. Uh, I, and I like you know, my name's Dickensian. Okay, yeah, right. I'm good with right. it. They're Dickens. They're definitely Dickensian. Um, you know, and a little. Oftentimes, the the metaphors quite a bit on the nose right. in this movie, and that's fine because it's still just a fun movie, even if you don't get the metaphor at all. Uh, but like you know, uh, Jesus's mind changes about his use of this power. Yes, when he dies and he comes back, but in his act of dying, his head is turned one hundred and eighty degrees. He literally turns around. Right. Right. Uh, so, so it's not you know, it's just it's on the nose. But, um, but in this is also a movie about family existing within those confines of capitalism and uh, the innocence of childhood, as many many Del Toro films are about uh, childhood trauma in general. Right. Um, um, and what, uh, what the machinations of adults do to children. Uh, here, I don't, the scene where he comes back and she greets him with the towel is just so like Aurora right. is such a great character. Period. But yeah, I I just, I, so, I love so the cute, way so beautiful. Yeah, handled yeah. in this movie, like her just complete, like still absolute devotion to her grandfather, despite like yeah. him turning into a literal physical living monster. Right. Is is right. really interesting. And like she intuitively understands that before he even realizes sunlight hurts him, she's already set up the, the, right. The coffin toy box bed with her stuffed animals in it for comfort. And like, she's just so nice. Uh, and she's painting yeah. suns on the wall so he can like, right. It's all so very, he can still see the sunlight. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's very good. Um, and of course, you know, part of part of becoming the vampire for Jesus and and for the alchemist before him is to become even whiter, right? The literal whitewashing right. of his skin uh, into this marbleness, uh, this pure whiteness. And, you know, that's a little heavy-handed too, but also serves serves that's that's the part where you know if someone were to watch this and say oh i don't there was a deeper there was a political message it's like hey maybe just look yeah. well, <laughs> think I about mean, it for a second well it's really fascinating because it's very specifically it's not just whiter right like like oftentimes yeah. in in vampire you know they turn you know the sort of pale right, sickly right. white but which is which is already a fine metaphor okay for like what yeah the sort of nature of power in, in the world but like uh just tossing on the fact that it becomes a marble, like this sort of like o- almost statuary, right? Oh, yes. You become this sort of like the thing that like is the sort of iconography that you become a vo- sort of living functional iconography for the thing that is used yeah. as a control mechanism for power, right? Like, like, right. like what, what, what did like, what did like these groups do as soon as they rolled in? Like one of the first things they do is they start putting fucking iconography every goddamn right. place, right? Which and- includes statues all over the place, right? Yeah, and Del Toro, with a mind to art history, which he certainly has, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, also, very f- no doubt, very familiar with these classicists, these, the the modern fake classicist right. guys, particularly of this idea that uh, the the marble white statues of the Roman era are this pinnacle that we need to go back for, and this whiteness is pure, even though those statues, even themselves, originally were not white. Right. They yeah. they were painted. They have lost they have lost their color to this to this flat whiteness that uh, has now become what uh, what white supremacists aspire to. Uh, and yeah, uh, <laughs> and again that um, white supremacy, European supremacy, all ties in with the history of the church in in ways we cannot separate. Right. So uh, take take all of these to be equivalent terms whichever one i use so. well and what's what's really <laughs> yeah. fascinating right like I, I, there's so much there's so much like no, like this movie is insanely deep for a movie that is as sort of like kind of a goofy movie as it is right yeah like even the thing that gives the alchemist his power is an exploitation of the resources available in that place right like right. he doesn't he doesn't bring that thing over with him. He finds it there, right? And exploits right. it to give him this power, right? Like we just it's so it is on the nose, but it's sort of so beautifully on the nose. Yeah. It, it just it's yeah. so perfectly on the nose that it that it, it works really right. well. And Angel runs a factory that never closes. And Dietrich lives in the attic freezer of that factory. Right. right. Well, Dietrich runs a factory uh, that never closes, but also never seems to be actually right producing real anything or making yeah. anything. Right. It it only produces existing. Right. Its its primary right. function is to exist. Right. 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 And he's just up there, covered with those all those little guardian angel statues covered like their meat. Yeah. In a, yeah. In a morgue or a freezer. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Oh man, I, I also it's it's Every, also hilarious that like there's something very funny about the fact that like Angel also seems to live in like a tiny little cabinet like this whole giant factory. Yes. His the 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 you know Dietrich lives in this entire <laughs> right. penthouse made of a freezer come yeah penthouse right or penthouse come freezer like whereas like Angel lives in what appears to be a closet. 
<laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me of one of my favorite jokes from Gia Matria. When the demon first shows up, dresses Linda Blair from The Exorcist, and the first line is, your closet's really small. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very good. <laughs> it's very good. It's very funny. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, Angel... Angel is someone who has uh, rejected his Hispanic ancestry, right? Um, he speaks Spanish with... Uh, disdain right yeah i mean like it it has a functional reason but also a very funny functional reason but like also (laughs) works extremely good right like del toro turns this i mean that had to have been his plan all along right like you think you think the way perlman describes the story of him being sent the script and not knowing if it was meant to if if the character was meant to be speaking spanish the entire time or not and showing up and saying hey i don't speak spanish and uh, and Del Toro just saying, "Yeah, I know. Let's go eat. Let's yeah, let's have some uh, lunch. It's just, yeah, um, it's very you know, it's a fun story. And Perlman's obviously he's a very charismatic person, so he's he's playing up the story to be to be more fun. Um, but yeah, then I can't I can't imagine Del Toro th- actually thought Ron Perlman was going to learn Spanish for this role. No, I that's uh, why but, I think it had to have been his plan. But all also, along, right? but. but but also, I don't know. Del Toro's Del Toro's "We're going to do it ourselves" attitude. Maybe, maybe he was expecting Ron maybe, Roman to I, be I mean, who knows though, right? Like, I mean, Del Toro yeah. doesn't have to look very far to look back at the history of cinema to be like, well, I mean, a bunch of different movies taught people how to say things phonetically and then had them read it. Right, like, right, right. It's not like this would be the first or last time that's happened, right? Well, we'll just we'll just yeah. teach it to him phonetically. It'll be fine. Right, right, right. Um, but apparently Perlman was very bad at that too. Um, yeah. And I, I also love in Pro, uh, in Perlman's little interview talking about how Del Toro came and sent him the script with a letter that just referenced every every role Perlman had ever had that he hated, basically. Right. <laughs> so he describes it, every embarrassing, every no matter how obscure. And Del Toro is just heaping praise upon them. Un- unironically, with absolute, absolute... Uh, admiration the bonus features on this are really really great all the interviews are very good the, the essential the episode of mtv cribs that we get with del toro going yeah, through I, never, his, I didn't his, watch that one but yeah. his bleak house oh you you need to revisit i that i I, um, I ran out but, of time to say yeah. the least. yeah no 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 it is not important to understanding the movie whatsoever it is just interesting that it's on there uh but it is uh i think it's like 40 minutes of uh of del toro going through this house that you know he's got this extensive collection of of books he he has every book he has ever bought uh he is the living embodiment of that borges quote about being every book you've ever read every every city you've ever visited every woman you've ever loved uh and uh it's he had this collection of macabre stuff and it was just in his house and his one time he hang he hung a rather uh, rather disturbing little painting in the kitchen and his wife said hey maybe maybe not yeah. uh, so so by that time he'd had a little success so he bought this other house to work to use as a creative studio but also to use as a man cave and fill and that's his term he he keeps using the term man cave every time he says bleak house the bleak house my man cave uh basically um but uh but yeah, it's just full of all his collections of everything, uh, film and and book and art and uh, prop and toy, uh, just absolute fill to the brim 
of all this stuff. And and seeing him talk talk about it is just very interesting to hear Del Toro talk about uh, the art he loves and the people he owes. You know, he's someone who wears his influences on his sleeves very much. Like uh, that that Geometria short is obviously. Uh, <laughs> a Mario Baba reference. Right. Uh, he talks about obviously, uh, 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 oh, what's his, what's his face? The Suspiria guy whose name I can't remember suddenly, um, that whole Italian horror of the seventies. Right. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just very much of that. And yeah, it's, it's just fun to, to hear him talk about that stuff. So I do recommend vi- revisiting yeah, that, but it does I, essentially I, all, function. Yeah, it, it, it did look, I was like, yeah. oh, this will be interesting, yeah. but then, you know. It, you do? it does essentially function as an MTV Crips episode. So, because um, it's just him walking us through the house. Right. Uh, they never look in his fridge, though. So I guess that that separates it from the MTV Crips style. Uh, well, I don't want to know what's in his bleak house fridge, frankly. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not. Uh, what if his collection yeah. needs to be cold is a, is a terrifying thought. Yeah. Well, plates of meat. Uh, no. Um, yeah, just the idea that the uh, the pendant is also something physically alive is very interesting, too, just from the from the historical perspective yeah. here you know it is it's something he found here that the alchemist found here and imprisoned right, right? it's slavery too right it's, right. it's extractive it's ex- exploitative extractive capitalism it's you know finding the resources of the new world and encasing them right uh, well and 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 really when you get into like when you look at like that sort of like um Late eight, you know, the late seven or late nineteenth, you know, actually mid eighteenth century, all the way up to early twentieth century, like the way that Europe interfaced with Africa, the way they interfaced with, you know, South America, oh, Central America, this, 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 like total, like everything that we think of as sort of the modern miracles of invention, were essentially just plundered natural resources, right? Like you get rubber. You've got like right. all, all these medicines, like that are just like just treated as though they just like somebody just invented this thing. And yeah, maybe they're modifying some natural resource, but it's just so. Oh well, we found this thing to exploit in this place, and we've turned it. And, right. and more, and just as often as it was like a need that needed to be filled, it was taking this thing and then creating a thing to create a need. Right. Just as right. often, right? right? Like things that didn't have it like you're like well we found this uh what was it like did you what was the name i forget the name of that show um oh man i i used to watch all the time the the show where they connections right the oh yes 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 yeah that's yes. one of my favorite shows and like a lot quite often he t- he doesn't get into like how you know capitalism that much in fact he's, <laughs> right. he's quite an admiral he's quite an admiration of all the things that people have invented <laughs> right which I, right, I understand. Right, right. Like I, as a as a young man, I was fascinated by this as well. But yeah, like he quite often gets in this like, well, we had this leftover byproduct of this thing of the exploitation of this resource. What what niche can we f- create yeah. to sell it? Right, right. How can we Fucking use it to make money or some right. shit? Right, like yeah, right. like what can we what can we lacquer it on? What can we like what can we do to this like a, a byproduct? 
to create it into a substance that we can convince somebody to like buy it to lacquer it onto some shit and then find out later it gives them cancer. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another aspect of that, that Del Toro very much like uh, uh, Bunel, um, he has a, you know, he's got that similar background to Bunel. What, but whereas Bunel would say, thank God I'm an atheist. And uh, Del Toro, I think, still has more admiration, more, more risk, not respect necessarily, not even admiration. But I don't think Del Toro would res- describe himself as an atheist, even at this point. I think he's a, I think lapsed Catholic is the terminology he uses for himself pretty regularly for a good reason. It's not, it's not no longer a Catholic. It's lapsed Catholic. Um, so it's interesting that even Del Toro within the realm of the film recognizes that uh, the religious iconography is a cover for this exploitation, right. right? They hide it. They hide it within the guardian angel statues, right? Well, they hide, it, with, uh, hide it within the guardian angel statue. And <laughs> even the mechanism itself is, is gold plated. It's right. It's all dressed. The, the exploitation is dressed up in these like, in this finery that makes it basically become sort of invisible, right? To to right. or at least allows people to ignore it, right? Like there's no reason the mechanism has to exist, right? That bug could just do that thing. Right. Of its own recourse, right? Like it it's just that's what that thing is, right? Like the machine is just a way to like harness it and control it and also dress it up so that it right. suddenly becomes palatable. Even the alchemist himself seemingly could not handle the idea of just having the bug do the thing, right? He had to dress it up and mechanize it. Um, he had to he had to turn that resource into a thing that he could both control, but also could could look at without disdain because in its natural state, it's right. not worth looking upon, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's got to got to dress it up, got to cover it up from the alchemist perspective. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, the that masking is what allows the exploitation to take place too, right? Right. You know, speaking more historically than uh than within the realm of the film necessarily, but that that dress up, the the putting religion on top of it, the putting the gold platedness on top of it is what allows a normal person to interact with this and be exploited because this is all fancy or normal or uh ceremonial and this is this is what it has to be you know uh where you know exposed for what it is just this bug right just this gold-plated bug (laughs) a roach inside a brooch uh that's very good no it's thanks uh it's clearly uh nothing to be praised Right. right, I mean, and 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 uh, even presumably, even the alchemist himself would look upon that thing with revulsion, right, and be like, "I can't right. do this," right? But now it's gold plated, right. and like, I've gold plated my exploitation, and now I can go about it, yeah, and pretend it's it's fine and normal. This is just how it works. Right, the world works this right. way. Yeah, yeah. You do suggest that the the alchemist himself has a conscience here. Which uh, well, no, no, I he good, has an good for you, right? Yeah. It's not the same thing. Like, it, That's we true. see this That's throughout true. the history of colonialism and exploitation through capitalism. Is 
even the even they themselves can't just m- make the bare naked truth present and visible right. in the in the colonial center, right? Like Leopold doesn't parade the arms, the ha- chopped off hands in downtown. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> right, like right. It has to be removed from like the consciousness of the people doing the exploiting, right? Like there's right. the people who are like the, the difference is again metaphors are bad in this yeah. way. Like the person doing the exploiting and the and the and the beneficiary of the exploitation are are the same exact same people. There's yeah. no there's no boots on the ground people in this you know what I mean? Like there's there's no functionaries in this environment that would exist in the actual thing itself, right? Like mm-hmm. the alchemist is also capturing people and draining their blood, whereas the thing it's a metaphor right. for, you hire people to do that so you can ignore right, it. Right. Yes. So you can pretend it's not happening, right? And that the you pretending it not that's the gold plating on the bug, right? That to a certain extent. Right. And that of course the metaphor Absolutely. gets muddled because the gold plating on the bug is also the same thing where you re where you repurpose natural resources into some weird niche so you can make money or power off of it, right? Like it it, it gets muddly. But like the point is right. they don't want to look at it either. It, right. it is and it's not a conscience a conscience thing. It is a, like, seeing the function of the thing is distasteful. Yeah. It's gauche. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, even, yeah, even as the wheels are greased in blood all over. And you know that because you you set up that system. Right. right. You. Well, <laughs> and that, yeah, exactly. It, it's really like, it's really a whole, the whole thing, it can get quite fascinating, right? Because like, again, you, you know, your average person in the, in the place, right. They don't necessarily identify easily that the wheels are all greased in blood, but the people who made yeah. the system know, but they also try to all pretend that it's not either. Right. Like for their own aesthetic needs. Right. It's, it's, it's all very fascinating, but it, it gets muddled in the in the meta, in the metaphor. But it works. Right. It's a very good metaphor that works very well. I'm not disparaging <laughs> yeah. it. I like it a lot. Beyond the metaphor, it's uh, it's a delightfully grotesque movie. Um, just just as a genre film, it's just a fun movie. It just works really well. It's well paced. It's it's a tight ninety, and yeah, it's. It's just really, really a fun. No, movie it's to it's watch. excellent. I really, really, and I think it's really beautiful at times. It's it's. Oh yeah, yeah. It it it, it, it right sits right on that line, right where it keeps straddling between it being kind of goofy and 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 just fun, and then also at times being Del Toro's right, obviously. But like the scene where he licks the bathroom floor is fucking. Right. It's so it's good. A... It's just so fucking good. You know he's, he's gonna do it. You're watching. It's like yeah. he's gonna, and you're like, and when it finally happens, it's like. Is this like a fucking Baroque painting? What is happening here? This is amazing. Yes. Like, I don't there know. The re- sta- it's beautiful, but it's also horrific, right? Yeah. There's a really great quote I ran across of uh, from Del Toro. I can't remember where it was. It wasn't any of the bonus features. I, it might have been trivia on like TV tropes or something. Um, but uh, But apparently Universal or some other American company – Wanted to buy the rights to Kronos to remake it. Oh, and Del Toro was Del Toro was first off no, but also uh, given given the stature of uh, Frederico Lupi 
within uh, Mexican cinema. <laughs> cinema. Uh, his response was also, "What are you gonna? Who are you gonna remake this with? You're gonna have Jack Lemon licking blood off the, <laughs> off right, the bathroom right, yeah, floor, which yeah. <laughs> is really great." Um, <laughs> That's very good. Well, I, it's just very funny that they tried to do the thing that the movie's about to him. It's just right, like, right, did you right. see it? Yes. Do you know what you it's about? Yeah, you obviously did not understand the, the piece I'm making. Well, you just right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like the gold plating on the bug, right? Like you're not right. going to look at what the thing is about because that would like right. looking at not. the thing, the the thing that it is yeah. would would make it impossible to do it. Right, and you know. More often than not, though, I would say that uh, the corporations know what the thing is about and recognize that making a thing that is anti them is still a really great way to make money. Well, so. yeah, you no, know, I agree. But also, the thing about <laughs> yeah. it is, is that like, it's also a you're right, but also b yeah. like it's so easy to just re ignore it and then repackage the quote-unquote fun things about it, right? Like, Right. And just sort of strip yeah. out those things as well. Like, I mean, there's there's an equal chance that it'll be that thing or they'll just somehow, like, sanitize it so that, that just that message isn't in there anymore, right? Yeah. Or it's so confusing yeah, that it's not but, readable. <laughs> but some of the most straightforward leftist messaging in in any piece of art recently are the speeches and actions in Andor, and obviously. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. Like, well, yeah. I mean, that's where you get to this cross purpose of like, well, you're, you can even, even the, the monster can identify a very good painting about the monster, <laughs> right. right? Like, I, yes, yes. Right. Um, to the beauty of this film, there is also a great bonus feature with cinematographer uh, Guillermo Novero, uh, who longed worked with Del Toro. Um, they were good friends, and also uh, he's just had a fantastic career working working with. Uh, he shot the Robert Rodriguez section of Four Rooms. Uh, he shot okay. Desperado from Dust uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Worked with Rodriguez a lot. Worked with has worked. He shot Jackie Brown. Um, shot other Del Toro things. Um, Pan's Labyrinth among them. Uh, he's had a, a really a really great career too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one thing one thing he says that I found very interesting to the way they approach this artistically was the film language precedes the story that they they decided how to shoot it uh as a function of the storytelling and this is you know how, how how all great cinema works right and and you know no no wasted movement no wasted frame is is true for well, almost Toro every movie we've watched well, right? right like uh yeah eye protein versus eye candy right like right that. right right yes yes he's uh, that's a smart approach to it too yeah um and even uh there's an interview with Federico lupi who plays jesus um where he talks about everything working together so that the actor can be fully committed, um, the sets, the costume, the lighting, so that when he walks into, for instance, the, uh, the industrial set, he doesn't think about how he's on a movie set. He thinks, uh, you know, and, and office, you know, that's a literal location, but still he walks in with this feeling of foreboding, with this feeling of, 
of this is a place where I do not belong. Mm. Uh, it's too too clean, too industrial, depending on which room you're in, <laughs> right? Right. Um, uh, and and how that helps him live his character. Um. So yeah, just everything, everything working together. Uh, the other stuff Navarro talks about, you know, obviously it's a beautifully shot film. There's a lot of very interesting lighting situations in this film. Right. Uh, Dietrich's room, it's all lit from the windows outside. And when we're talking about physical locations, that's hard to do. <laughs> Navarro talks about right. how those those lights were mounted on the building next door. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, the fight in front of the uh, the rooftop uh, sign uh, is just very beautifully uh, when we're, especially when we're talking about they had such a low budget, right? right. You know, they're doing this completely independently. Uh, just the fact that he's able to light a scene in front of a glowing sign in a way where anything is visible is just uh, right. a testament to how good he is, period. But, um, but yeah, just, yeah, he talks about uh, those those two bits particularly the rooftop and the industrial areas uh, that they were, they were lit in a very particular way because that's the only way they could figure out how to do it. There was just no alternative that worked, but also it just worked so well. It's just great. Right. Um, Yeah. He also says they they didn't shoot coverage unless they absolutely needed to shoot coverage (laughs) because they, you know, he says that in, in saying that the film language precedes the story, you know, every, every movement of the camera had already been decided because it was, you know, uh, it was narratively how things had to happen too. Right. So yeah, everybody. Yeah. That's why, why I think that del Toro maybe expected Ron Perlman to learn Spanish. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I, just that everybody else was hard scrapple on here and doing it. Uh, but yeah, um, this movie did win, uh, was nominated for and won a whole bunch of aerial awards, which are the, uh, Mexican Academy Awards. Um, whereas in the U S nothing, it actually, this movie bombed in the U S quite badly. Well, I mean like, uh, that, I feel like that, that is a thing that Del Toro films did for, for quite a, for quite yeah, a period yeah, of time, yeah. That's, right? <laughs> That's probably true of Mimic as well. Yeah, that's probably... Like, it's just the thing, right? Like, it it, it totally makes sense, right? Like, this this film is just so... It's it's wonderful, and, like, so many films like this, you... The American system is just not really super well set up to, like, take in this kind of work and, like, distribute it and make it, like, available to audiences. Yeah. And it, Even though yeah. it's it's wonderful, like without some organization to like spread it around, it's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, mimic did not make back its budget. Uh, and then the devil's backbone was the next movie he did, which was 2001. It barely made his budget back. I don't know. It's weird that given, given how mimic, you know, first off we're like four years between films, Kronos to mimic mimic, Mimics the Devil's Backbone. Um, 
But Devil's Backbone was actually a joint production with Warner Brothers and Sony. So maybe that's just how they got it, how they got it made. Maybe that was right. another independent one that he then sold to uh, That's somebody. probably what – I mean, like, that it's is more than likely what happened, right? Well, that's yeah. the thing, right? We'll is, find out – go ahead. We'll find out in about two years right. when we get to Spine 666. But but that's the thing is, right, but, yeah. is he probably wasn't even tapped into the system well enough to do that yet with this, right? He just yeah. not – he's not in a position like nobody – because that's the thing, right? It's like all those studios and stuff, they all – hear about these really like groundbreaking films over here and it's like like uh, they're just waiting for an opportunity to like buy up that director's like next film right. or something like that and like go sort of get them into the the hollywood system right yeah 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 and then he had blade 2 and hellboy and he had that they were successful uh you know with the as comic book adaptations yeah i mean the, the um, hellboy movie is f- with his hellboy movie is Hellboy's fun in. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and the, that gave the, him. The ones come after, once other directors get a hold of it, not as much. But right, like, right. Ron Perlman and him doing and, Hellboy is it was a very fun thing. Yeah. yeah. And that gave him the money to do Pants Labyrinth, which was a critical darling. Absolutely. Right. And then he gets to, gets to make those critical darlings and the genre films moving forward Hellboy 2, Pacific Rim, uh, and then The Shape of Water. Like, <laughs> what a career. Um, well, but, and, yeah. but like, and, uh, and like, people paint like you know his his more commercial ones are, are are you know they're very commercial, but they're also I, I've I've they're del- also, I also still like Del Toro them. works right. You're very obviously Del Toro works, and I like them. Yeah, I have not watched a Del Toro film that I did not like. Straight up, absolutely, like, it has not happened yet. I will say one one other place. I don't know. I I go back and forth. You know, you and I are are. Nonviolent people, yeah, <laughs> practitioners of nonviolence. Um, so the fact that uh, Jesus uses the power one last time to drain Dietrich, uh, but also narratively, he needs that because he needs to feed that addiction one more time so that he can be tempted to feed on Aurora, right? And and ultimately reject the power, right? Um, but he shows up at Dietrich's with the intention of getting rid of the power by right. any means necessary. Uh, but then uses it to destroy Dietrich. Well, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I he don't has know. to come I, to grips with the fact that, like, if he goes through with destroying it, like, and this is where we, our metaphor sort of diverges necessarily from reality, right? Like, um, yeah. if he uses, if he just takes the opportunity to rid himself of it. Right. Immediately. It is it is a matter of course that Dietrich will have that power, right? Right, and that that is not that is not an accept. He is essentially by non-action allowing that exploitation to continue, right? Like he he right. he has identified that this is it's, this is detestable and cannot continue. And by yeah. and if he were to just hand over the power and give it up, somebody else who doesn't mind it, who right. who has no qualms with its with its with it, with its cost, including, we'll use it, including in that immediate moment himself and his granddaughter. Right, right. Uh, not that he knows his granddaughter's there yet, because she doesn't show up until she hits, <laughs> she hits him over the head. <laughs> it's Dietrich over the head. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess you know it. Tolkien is not an anarchist, right? Certainly, right. <laughs> there's, <laughs> but. The uh, the anarchist bent of the One Ring, where the only 
the only way to destroy that power is to reject it. There's no wielding it for good. Right. Right. And there's a lot of people tempted to wield it for good, and it destroys, destroys right, them. Right, right. Uh, no. And I think that is that is an apt metaphor for uh, the way, uh, say, the Soviet Revolution went, where where folks decided they could use that state power to do good, uh, but uh, but they couldn't. Well, okay, and, you know, we're not going to have we're not going to have a conversation. We're not going to get Soviets into this because I there are very valid arguments for you know. <laughs> Right, massive right, right. changes to the living yes. status of a lot will, of people yes that could will, be made i will okay? allow for that i will allow for like that. a lot of people uh, who were very very bad off maybe not being quite so bad off yes, when, when it was yes. also now, but agreed that like you get into that like absolute power corrupts absolutely that 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 and then yeah. you get a combination of that with like well can the master's tools be used to destroy the master or something like that yeah and the problem is is that there is no real Honestly, there's no real solution to that that, that discussion. Right, right, like, right, right, right. Because right. again, because depending on the situation and what we're talking about, he must in this situation. This situation is not any more or less nuanced than than the other arguments would be, as well. Like this is in many ways, Jesus's only recourse. Right. If he wants the power right. to and this cease is- to exist, he has to use it. Right. Yes. And this is, of course, where I go back and forth in my own ideologies yeah. between between being a nonviolent anarchist and uh, someone who, you know, appreciates that uh, a lot of what I want to see in society will take a level of organization that well, that will be in <laughs> will be uh, indistinguishable from a government. So well, you and I, you and I yeah. are in a very odd position, and we this is not, doesn't come up a lot in the podcast, honestly. But we yeah. sit on exactly opposite sides, very <laughs> of a narrow, very narrow fence, where you're on the right, one right, side, right, right. really anarchist, and you like, yeah, yeah, realize that sometimes like, you're like, oh man, this is going to require some organization to make this happen. I'm on the other side, right. and I, I am generally a person who believes in organ. I believe that every single thing we've tried so far has, glo- like broadly speaking, failed. <laughs> But I do also yeah. recognize that that's the only way this is going to happen. But I also right, every right, so right. often go, well, maybe it shouldn't exist, okay? Because it always does <laughs> right, go back, right, you right. know. So we always like we're constantly like dancing on the opposite. Yeah, we both live next to the fence, which is, and they just like exist yeah. on both sides of it. Which is why ultimately you and I hate each other. Yes, and, we. Will, and I mean, the one of die. us will have to put the other yeah. against the wall when the revolution comes. Let's be very yeah. clear here. Yeah. For for. That's what I what I tell people when when I talk about things like this is uh, the moment where one of us needs to put the other against the wall is like ten generations away. Right. So, yes, yeah, like, yeah. I'm and not super so concerned away, about it. Has, none of, neither of us is going to be doing it. That's <laughs> yeah, for damn yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we don't need to worry about it now because we have a yeah. lot. Of, there's a lot of revolution that has <laughs> to can, happen before that comes my, up. Right. 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 My great great grandchildren. Uh, well, my great great nieces and nephews, because I'm not, I'm not having any kids. You, they, they can decide. Uh, they can, they can, they can a, figure this out. They, yeah, they can figure it out. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where like, and and the thing about it is, is that that the, there is a very deep nuanced discussion there that in in for all intents and purposes is almost always hypothetical, right? Because right, like. Right. This discussion about whether the master's tools can be used to destroy the master or something along those lines, like, is all very hypothetical because we're like eight steps away from that at this point, right? At all times, right? right? right like, we're right, right. so far away from 
you know, I mean, in a, in a very practical, real way, right? You get into a very like yeah current discussion of like, and then, well, can like can you use government to reform what's happening? And we've got the answer now. Like the answer is no, you can't. The, right. the existing then, government will not allow itself to be reformed via itself, right? But yeah, right. And then what? You know, more in line with with the background of our our filmmakers here, um, liberation theology. Is, isn't really a Mexican thing. It's, it's further south, more Central American. But that is something that has different, definitely affected how I think about the relation, uh, the Christian relationship to nonviolence, and how so often, so often the Christian relationship to nonviolence has been used, at least in the 20th century uh, and 19th and, and prior. Um, but basically, since since the capitalist colonialist era, uh, the uh, the more liberal arms of Christianity. In embracing nonviolence has uh, allowed for exploitation. Well, to I mean, it's, that, it's, the very that, that is always, that right. has been for quite a bit of time a tool of yeah. that exploitation, right? Like, it's it's right. a it is a purposely wielded weapon, right? right? Like, and I to disarm yeah. those who would seek right. true justice, yeah. right? So, I have I have zero interest in and zero standing to say to someone like Jesus. That you have you have no right, right. to <laughs> destroy Dieter. <laughs> Dieter. Um, and when we get yeah. into this, you and I, like privately outside of the podcast, <laughs> talk about right. this with regards to other movements in the world seeking actual right. justice. Right? It's like, hey, like you, I, at least as far as I'm concerned, you do whatever you got to do. <laughs> like I don't, right. I will never right. tell you you're doing it the wrong way. Like there is no wrong dismantling. Way. Dismantling the structure is more important. Right in this moment, when someone is suffering, I get that. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, and I'm reminded of uh, you know the uh, the 1688 Germantown Proclamation was a, a joint. It was mostly Quakers, but it was Mennonites who had also converted to Quakerism, basically because there wasn't a Mennonite community in Germantown, Pennsylvania at the time. But in 1688, they produced what is the first English language condemnation of slavery, basically written in the New World. Um, it's a lot of caveats on that, I guess. But right. <laughs> anyway, uh, the argument they make is that uh, by the law of the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, slaves have every every right to violently overthrow oppression. Right. Because they have been. <laughs> they, uh, and, and if any white person were were in their position... They would obviously take up arms. Is is something the Quakers, the the peaceful Quakers and Mennonites are saying. Um, you have been you have been so enchained that we cannot say you should you should not violently overthrow your chains, because nothing you could do to violently overthrow your chains would be worse than what has happened to you already, basically. Right. So, yeah. Uh so yeah, I get you know personally, wouldn't make that decision, but within the realm of of people who are not me, absolutely understand it. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a really great movie. It um, is. A, it is a. It is a really really great movie. It's. Uh, yeah. I find it. I find the the character of Angel really really fascinating. Right. Because. Yeah. As, as a sort of, he becomes a sort of like. Like after Dietrich's dead, 
there's mm-hmm. there's a period where Angel is essentially lore, like masterless and still yeah. seeks to pursue that that violence that he has already been directed to do despite yeah. having no it and no longer having a funk a quote unquote function anymore right right he he doesn't care about his uncle or whatever i forget their relationship i think uncle right um, uncle yes yeah he doesn't care about his uncle the passing of his uncle is a relief for him right and yet he still is seeking out and he doesn't even seek the power that his uncle sought he has no. no real interest in it at all. Like, whether or not it's from lack of belief in it or whether it's just right. he sees no value yeah. in it. Which is, you know, except for the fact that Angel loses the fight, that is basically basically the argument I would make against uh, the violence that Jesus commits in killing, in killing Dietrich, is that what, what Angel exemplifies there is that that violence begots violence that right. uh, angel out of familial loyalty out of some sort of revenge stance or just out of the fact that uh, he is a violent a violent well, a person who has been trained to be violent by by his relationship with his uncle um comes after has nothing to gain right from coming after but, but, coming but after that's Jesus, where i think it gets, still a, does. becomes a really fascinating yeah. thing to think about right because it's yeah. not revenge. We know for a matter of fact it's not right. revenge for his uncle. Like yeah. he because bear in mind, remember, Angel kills his uncle. Right. Not Right. I mean like Jesus uses his power on it and 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 Dietrich is is all but dead. But right. Angel kills him. Right. And and that's and Angel then just needs to turn violence like almost like obviously within the plot of the movie right it's like well i've got to get rid of all evidence of this ever occurring right this is they just have to this you know but within the sort of more metaphorical plot of the movie you have this violent actor who's turned to essentially some sort of banditry or something where he's just now he was a, a sort of a state functionary and now the state's gone and so what he does is violence and so violence is what he will do right Right, like he know right. he has no purpose. He has no meaning or purpose in in his existence, and so he, be, he just will continue he becomes, violence. He becomes counter revolutionary, right? And and and, not, the, and, it, and it's worth noting, not even to reestablish the state, but just to, just, just, just to be counter revolutionary because violence is yeah. what he does, right? But the funny right. thing about it, when you like sort of like sort of work it all out in metaphor and stuff, is like the, in that perspective. Okay, this is this is just the argument sort of that can be made about the movie is. That is no better or worse, as far as what as far as Angel as an actor is concerned, is no better or worse than before Jesus acted, because right. whether it's a violence directed by Dietrich or it's random un un sort of undirected yeah. violence, Angel will do violence. Like that is what right. Angel will do. And, um, and it's his relation. It is his relationship to the system of exploitation right and so we we see this sort of argument about like when and and we see this in history of lots of in in lots of places when the system collapses the people whose job has always been violence and in in pursuit of the maintenance of the state just turn to just 
violence in pursuit of their own desires or or even like right. even just random violence right it happens all the time and and, and it, what it becomes more or less more than anything even more of an argument than than violence begets violence to me it becomes an argument for building creating people whose purpose in society is violence is an inherently right. Dis- self-destructive act for for the whole society in and of itself, right? Creating right. actors right. who have no other purpose, no other function, right? You know, police. Right. Don't make police. <laughs> Del Toro's making a yes. don't make police argument, okay? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the fact that he calls himself a guardian angel. Yeah, I mean, but, but it's it's right. all it's because still. we we see it even with modern policing, right? This this sort of righteousness in action. Our violence is righteous, right? We do it for yeah. your protection. We are we're protectors. It, it's it's violence. It's also got its own little cold, like gold coat of paint, like gold a coat of gold right. paint in in the form of like guardian angel or like protector or like this idea that like yeah. well the fi- the violence we do in in service of the state is for your protection it's to help you peace officer right that bullshit right uh, like exactly it's yeah. it, you know del toro gets it yeah um no more cops <laughs> yes uh unrelated to the movie metaphor i do briefly want to talk about tito the coroner uh the the comic relief <laughs> yeah. wolverine yeah uh beautiful Beautiful sideburns on this man. Uh, love his functionality in, you know, we've talked with Del, with Del Toro, with, with uh, the cinematographer about how the thing, the way things are shot leading to, to the narrative. Uh, and I imagine this was a sequence that was absolutely planned out uh, from the beginning of uh, Jesus' escape from the morgue, where, <laughs> where Tito is, he's got to go turn the gas back on. And we just, but the camera follows him, so we leave the room, and then he comes back, and first he encounters a door that wasn't open the last time he walked by it, and he closes that, and then he gets back to the the coffin, and it's open, but also he doesn't investigate it right. at all, and just closes it back and and pushes it into the fire. It's just he's very he's a very fun character. Period. the The weird leering priest that is always with him. Is also very right. Like, what a guy! What I like about him is that he's that character in a movie, but he doesn't get killed because right, our right, our right. air quotes monster is not inherently a bad actor. Like he's not a uh, yeah. Like and so like that that he is the character that will inevitably be murdered in every movie like this. <laughs> right, right, and he's right, completely right. fine. Nothing bad fun. happens and, to him at all. And in fact, weirdly enough, he shows back up as that same character, Tito the Morgue guy, uh, in a movie called We Are What We Are uh, from 2010, directed by Jorge Miquel. Oh, Corral. really? Um, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, there's a, that that character's existence is the only tie <laughs> that film has but to Kronos. It, it is also a fun horror movie in in a del Toro vein. Right. Uh, about uh about some middle class cannibals it looks like but uh but yeah i um, yeah i'm a big fan that's a, that it is a great character his 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 actions his movements feel almost uh what's his name um uh playtime and um yeah 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 uh, uh 
<laughs> Jacques Tati. Yeah, Tati is yeah. like it feels almost like Tati X in like the way is is he interacts with the world. It's right, right. Obviously, obviously, doing things Tati would never. Would no, never of course have not. Film, but like, but, but the same. Like, I don't know yeah. the same sort of like bravado, like sort of like goofy bravado in the things he's doing. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, I it's transposable in my mind somehow, even though they're very, yeah. very different actions, right? Tati is not going to make a movie about a dude who who right. works the burner in a morgue, but if he were to, this is what his life would be yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, this also did remind me a little bit of Head in that we had, we had a... Uh, Everything reminds uh, you of Head. That's, 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 of course, that's, because Head contains all things. Yes, yeah, so. the Ur movie. Um, yeah. Um, Rafelson talks about when he made Head just wanting wanting everything to be in that movie because he never thought he'd be able to make another movie. I don't think Del Toro here knows that he's going to keep making movies, right? But at the same time, uh, and he's also doing it independently. So unlike unlike Rafelson, who had to worry about getting a budget for another movie, uh, Del Toro right. Also I mean, Del Toro isn't. knows that if he's got enough chewing <laughs> right. gum, string, and lint, <laughs> right, right, and right. time, he'll, he'll eventually get another movie yeah. made. Yeah. Um, but just the the opening sequence after the alchemist, we get this crane shot through the streets of Mexico right, City, yeah. and the, uh, before we before we go in on the family, and it's just such a one. It's just such a change from the alchemist stuff we've right. just watched, right? Uh, and then it's just so jaunty and happy. Well, and, and it, such the a amount that like, picture. I don't know. Del Toro's a genius. I don't know what else to say, but like yeah. the amount <laughs> right, that he can right. encapsulate like an Amer the intro to an American Hollywood film <laughs> into yes, that yes. like is so yeah. phenomenal. I don't know like like his eye is like can you be can you imagine being so good at the thing like on your first film being so good at the thing you want to do? Like I mean of course he made shorts, but you know what I mean. The first thing, right. like your first go at it, you're like, "Well, I know how to make a jo- like a bullshit American like jaunty like intro to like a yeah. like a lighthearted American movie. I can do that. Like, bring me my crane. Like, I don't know. Like, like right. fucking hell, man. Like, how? Uh, I don't know. It's just it's an amazing thing to think of. because we've watched a fair number of people's first films. Right in this in this and and. Oftentimes we watch them because they were very good, or they they became very, you know, they they got better. One of the two. Yeah. But like more often than not, we've watched a lot of first films that were kind of shoestring, like taped together, bullshit budget sort of things. But very rarely are they just this phenomenally well executed. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. oftentimes, of course, they they're going for different things, but like. Yeah, I don't the know. Just, I, I, the, it's just kind of amazing to me that he like pulls it off so right. with such bravado. It's really amazing. It's actually, it's actually really interesting because so many of the movies we've seen where it was their first movie and it was pulled off this well, it was also their last movie, right? <laughs> and they, Very good point. And yeah, something absolutely. happened. That, yeah, yeah. And I think of something like Night of the Hunter, which is you know stylistically has some similar things going on, even, um, but. Also, you know, and that's the American film industry too, because when we talk about it being their first movie and their last movie, we're almost exclusively talking about American. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing, right, is that I think what you get down to, right, is that like there's so little of 
even when we talk about like revolutions in cinema, like we talked about like BBC, what was it? BBS? Yeah. BBS. Yeah. I've already forgotten. Uh, BBS. Like <laughs> even, even these ones that you would think of as independent, like shoestring budget, they're not that thing though. They're not the thing right. that Del Toro or Del Toro is doing that like people over in Europe are doing where it's like literally we fucking strapped this shit together with shit we found in the basement basically. Like, you know what I mean? Like we made this happen despite the odds. I don't know. It just seems like the American system is set up a, in a way to make that basically impossible. Even with like sort of even the modern era with like the sort of the revolutions where like all these equipment and, and, and things are available to people at relatively low prices, like you still can't really do that thing. Well, uh, I do want to talk a little more about geometria before we pull this to a okay. close. It's sure. just really fun. It's, uh, uh, it is shot color-wise to be a uh, Dario Argento, Mario Bava sort of homage to uh, to that era of Italian uh, horror. Um, and it's, I don't know. Uh, but also it's an overt homage to, like, The Exorcist, uh, not just with well, the fact that it, it even feels shows very, up dressed like, as Linda Ware. Because these movies are pointing to the same thing. It feels very Evil Dead and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Army of Darkness. That, they, they're all... They're, of course, all just pointing at the same stuff, right, as source material. But right. uh, it's just interesting yeah. because they they have a very similar vibe to them as a result. Yeah. Um, Del Toro, in his introduction to Geometria on, on Criterion Channel, uh, says, uh, I think this is the first time he used latex. Uh, so the fact that, the, the, you know, He's really great. Um, but, you know, in making these shorts, he taught himself how to do makeup, basically. He he made himself a visual effects artist in making all these shorts, right? Um, he also talks about how uh, how he commissioned a soundtrack from a local artist and didn't like what they gave him. So used other music from that artist that he did like and... <laughs> Uh, needless to say, the musical artist was not happy about that. Uh, <laughs> Can't imagine. I, I uh, thought yeah. I I did not. I yeah. I was I was assuming we were going like. And so he pulled a John. He pulled a John Carpenter, and he did everything himself. No, 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 no. He didn't. He didn't do the music himself. He just found other music by the same guy. That's a very funny thing Drake. to do. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That he did like, yeah, it's very funny. Uh, there are two cuts of this. Uh, I think what we get on the Criterion Channel is the director's cut, which is uh, sort of. Well, first off, it cuts out a couple of about a minute of footage, I believe. Um, well, that's interesting because Del Toro like talks about in his interview, like he'll take any opportunity to like slap some more shit on the not in a, not in a <laughs> nightmarish George Lucas way, but like in a, like he, I just love this movie so much, I'm going to like. If I find right, anything right, right. related to it, I am going to include it in a box set of, or like in a DVD set if I can. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, as far as the actual cut of the film, you know, I think it's just making things tighter. He is diver- deservedly so extremely proud of this film. Right. Uh, yeah, it's an extremely fun movie, and just <laughs> the setup and payoff. Yeah, you know, it's it's based on a Frederick Brown short story called Naturally. And Frederick Brown is a master of the short short, the the thousand word short story. Uh, and this is a really great adaptation of a thousand word short story. Right. Um, uh, but so many short shorts 
function as sort of extended jokes and the setup and pay of uh, setup and payoff in this one is an extended joke uh with a punchline uh but it's just a really funny punchline to me where where the kid the kid summons a demon so that it can uh pass his geometry exam uh but then the demon kills him because he doesn't know what a pentagram is and it's drew so a hexagon good. It's instead so, it's such a it's stupid so funny. F- funny joke it like yeah. it is it is deeply stupid, but also very funny. Like I do really love yeah. it. It makes me laugh. But think of it in the bright like on the good like the bright side. You won't have to do geometry you, test tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, right, right. You'll never fail geometry again. Ah, <laughs> uh, cause you're dead. Uh but yeah, the makeup and it's you know the coloring and and it's all very, very much what is an homage to but also done with zero budget. Like the mom in the short is Del Toro's mom. It's oh, really? Just, like, yeah. That's yeah. funny. Uh, filmed, filmed in the office he was working out of, uh, you know, for like, I think, I think they said geometry was shot for like two grand period. Beautiful. So, no, one, $1,000 is, is what, uh, what Wikipedia says. So, yeah, it's just super fun. Definitely highly recommend checking it out. Sorry I ruined the joke if you haven't watched it yet. Yeah, thanks, uh, Adam. Well, <laughs> Some of us were <laughs> waiting to warning. watch the... Oh, wait, no. Some of us were waiting to watch it during the podcast. I'm <laughs> sorry. I have children. I'm not going to watch a no, horror movie you. in front of them. No, you definitely shouldn't have watched I, it, it was pr- it, I, I was right. I was. It was yeah. a good thing to not watch right. that movie in front of them. They. Uh, my oldest son could have handled it probably fine thank you criterion collection for giving us del toro i uh, can't wait can't wait for more del yeah, toro we'll Obviously, the, devil's, the devil's backbone the devil's backbone and pan's reverence very different movies to chronos um, but uh but, but not like, too I, different because like, there's still del toro films like i said i've i've seen more than half of del because there's not a lot of them uh of del toro's yeah. films and i've never i've yet to not like one this week we've been talking about chronos from 1992 uh or ninety, the the Criterion release is ninety three, and the or the Criterion release is two thousand ten. But Criterion uses the American release date sometimes, uh, and I, the original I release date how not some other times. Criterion is about yeah. everything. It's beautiful. So, so this this uh, it premiered in ninety two, but then its international premiere was at Con in ninety three, which is probably why Criterion uses that date. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it came out in 1992, but Criterion says 93. So whatever. Do what you do, Criterion. Go ahead. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about James L. Brooks broadcast news from 1987. Looking forward to that. Uh, James L. Brooks is a very funny guy. So I imagine broadcast news is going to be a very funny movie. Uh, yeah. Why not? James L. Brooks directing Albert Brooks. What? But not, they're not related. Right. They're not related as far as I know. We'll find out next week, maybe, in some bonus features dedicated to how they're not related. <laughs> is that what but, the bonus? Th- yeah. Is there one literally called "We're Not Related"? <laughs> don't accuse I don't know. Us of maybe. This. Yeah, we'll find out. Maybe they are related. I'm just wrong. Uh, but yeah, this week it was Kronos. Uh, more Del Toro in the future with Pan's Labyrinth at spine number six sixty six, which is roughly two years from now. Two years in a couple weeks. So Yay. look forward to that. Um. <laughs> Ah, man. Criterion, just give us more Del Toro. There's not that much of it. You put all the Wes Anderson films on. I mean, I have to assume that. I mean, the problem is, is that (laughs) 
as far as I know, Wes Anderson's never made his Pacific Rim. That's true. That's true. And so, um, so I Criterion would... has to deal with the fact that like they only want certain kinds of Del Toro films. And Wes Anderson makes those kinds of Del Toro films. No, that's also not true. But anyway, oh, we'll be back next week for broadcast news. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Ovitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. been lost in criterion hosted by me adam glass find me on twitter at the adam glass my co-host is john patrick Ovatari dorgan you can find him on twitter at j patrick dorgan big thanks to jonathan hape for our theme song check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service also thanks to all our patreon supporters itunes reviewers and redbubble customers and hey thank you for listening